All right, so, like I said, we're gonna do a little off-roading, um, but here we go. We're gonna start with you know, this idea of I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Uh, what I want us to understand with this is this is a statement, and I'm gonna confess something real quick. I've actually used this statement before. Uh, I remember there was a time in my own ministry where I had a very negative outlook um, towards uh, the church in the sense of what I was used to. I had a very negative uh, viewpoint of the way, you know, because there was a lot of junk that I've experienced with what you want to call organized religion, if you want to call it that, or that's the way you want to look at it. Uh, I had a lot of negativity. So a lot of times God would bring me into conversations with people in the community and we would have conversations and I would start talking to them about like, hey, why don't you, you know, come check us out? Why don't you come be part of what we're doing? And, and inviting them and talking to them about Christ and all this stuff and saying, hey, we got all these ministries that we're doing. Um, and then they would look at me and say, That's, that sounds great and all. And then they would say, I'm not really that religious. And the next thing out of my mouth would be, great, neither am I. You know? And, and, and so what, I, what God convicted me with, and we're going to talk a little about this this morning, what he convicted me with back then was how I was actually adding to a negativity that is growing in our culture towards the church, right? Because there's a lot of negativity towards the church. There's a lot of neg- You get people to be like, well, I love Jesus. I, I th- I'm great with Jesus. I just don't want nothing to do with the church. And that's kind of what we're seeing, and it's all being said by the statement of, I am spiritual, but I'm just not religious. I, I'm cool with Jesus. I'm good for this higher being. I'm good to seek someone greater than myself, but I don't need to put up with all the rules and regulations and all the other people that come with it. You know, Gandhi was actually one that says, he's like, I'm cool with your Jesus. I just don't, I can't stand you Christians. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he's like. He's like, I, I'm cool with Jesus. I think Jesus is great. Everything Jesus says and teaches is wonderful. He's like, my problem is all the Christians. You know, so what he was ultimately saying was, once again, he's like, when I look at Jesus, I think this is awesome. But when I look at the church... What he was saying was, my experience is, I don't like it. I don't want nothing to do with it. And, and of course, Gandhi was not a Christian by any means. So, where I want to start real quick this morning is this. I want us to understand this truth. Is he going to go? I don't even know if I... Are you good to just click it for me? There you go. Let's just, let's just look at this truth. The truth, uh, the truth is a beautiful creation of God. And what I want us to... We're going to start by just looking at the church for a moment. Because one of the things that kind of happens is, is when we start talking about religion, organized religion, we start talking about the church, especially in the culture, one of the things that happens is we start viewing the church as if it's something that man made. We start viewing it as something that man controls and man has made. And we lose sight of this beautiful truth that the church is actually a beautiful creation of God's. Man did not create the church. Man did not design the church. Man does not, in no way, shape, or form should man, I mean, granted, I get it. We, we, you know, God raises leadership, and we're here, and we're the ones doing the work and all that stuff. But here, here's the deal. Um, you take God out of the equation of the church, we're just a country club. Right? We're just a country club that likes to sing and do nice things. You know, if you look at Revelation, when Jesus uh, talks to all of the churches in Revelation, he, he tells them, straighten up, or I'm removing your lampstand. What he's saying is, straighten up or I'm stepping out. 
He's like, I'm the reason this is the church. Either you do it the way I tell you to do it and the way I designed you to do it, or I'm stepping out. And and, and that's just the way it's going to be. See, when we think about the church, I think about this this, uh, passage of Scripture. Oh, go back to the, sorry, go back to the other one. Together as one body, right? Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Let me explain what's being talked about here. Paul is talking about the division between Jews and Gentiles, right? There was this this division between these two groups of people, and that encompasses everybody on the planet. He's like, listen, there's Jews, and then everybody else is Gentiles, and there's hostility between the two, and there's division between the two. But by the grace of God, by the power of God, by the immense wisdom of God, He was able to take these two people, these two groups that were hostile towards each other, and he brought them together into one body. He brought them together and he created this thing called the church that is this amazing thing where two people that literally hate, two groups that hated one another came together into one, right? So what does that mean for us? Well, here's the thing. If you look around the room, I guarantee you there are people in this room that if you had the option to be friends with them or not, you probably wouldn't pick them as friends. Because we're different. We have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. We have different likes. We have different tastes, right? Some of us have different economic statuses. Uh, all, there's differences, right? All of us are different. We have different things that we come from, different things that we bring to the table. But God somehow takes all of us and in the blood of Jesus and in our faith in Christ, he mushes us together into one beautiful body. And that's why the church is a beautiful thing created by God. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only God can do that. And see, we're going to talk about this a little bit more as the sermon goes on because we've got to understand something about this beautiful creation. If we really understood the church the way God presents the church, it's not just that we're a bunch of individuals that have come together to be the church. The scripture says we're not just individuals that have come together. We are literally the body. We are one, united. Right? United. Together. You know, Scripture talks about this, you know, this idea of saying, well, if I'm the ear, I don't need the foot, or, you know, if I'm the hand, I don't need, it it doesn't work that way. We are one, united somehow. How God does that, I don't know, but we are not just individuals. We are a united body in Christ, and that is beautiful. So what that means is, is if we started really understanding that, we wouldn't see things like divisions in the church like we do. We wouldn't see attitudes like, I don't need you. You, met, you upset me and I want nothing to do with you. We wouldn't see backstabbing and all that stuff because we would start to understand, no, we are a unified body. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. One heartbeat, one mission, one purpose. Individuals that have come together as one body. It's a beautiful creation of God. With that also, the church is unstoppable. This is important to me because when we start understanding what the church is and we start understanding the beauty of this thing called the church that God has asked us to be part of and he has designed us to be part of and he has brought us together to be part of, we understand that when God is leading the church, the church is unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Okay, so I'm going to stop for a minute. I understand. I get this. I get it. I get it. 
Um, I know, you're rubbing off on me. Didn't somebody say when married people stay together long, they start kind of looking like each other? That's what he said when he read the comment, too. He's like, that's not right. Here's the thing. Um, I, I know that maybe we don't show outwards expressions of, of, like, excitement with certain things. But can I ask the question, does that truth excite us at all? I mean, I, I, I really process this. If we are the church, and Jesus is the head... And we are united together in this beautiful creation that he has brought us together in, no matter what our differences, no matter what our sins, no matter what our brokenness, he has melded us together into this beautiful body. And him as the head, and him leading the charge, and the spirit of God moving within us and guiding and directing us. We are unstoppable. Does that excite us whatsoever? It should. It should. It, It should make us have an attitude every single day of, I don't care what you throw against me, bring it, because you can't stop me. You can't stop me. If I'm part of God's church, you can't stop me. Don't get me wrong, we can get hit hard, and it can be, it can be horrible, and we go through horrible things in life, and we go through situations that we don't want to go through, but when we understand what Scripture says, the Scriptures say that when we are in the will of God, we are unstoppable. If we are in the will of God, we are unstoppable. There is nothing that can hold us back. There is nothing that can stop the movement of God that he wants to do in our our midst. There is nothing that can stop the transformation that God wants to do in your life, in your family's life, in in your marriage, in every aspect of who you are as the church. We are unstoppable. See, I don't think we believe that as much as we should. I know I struggle with believing that at times. Because sometimes you get knocked down and all you do is feel like you've been stopped. But see, here's the truth I want us to understand as we begin this, that the church is a beautiful creation of God. We didn't make it, we didn't design it, we don't determine what it is, and we don't determine what direction it goes. God determines all of those things, and it is unstoppable when it is in the will of God. Now here's why I say all that, because when we start processing this, I am spiritual but not religious, we are falling into something, a mindset, a worldview that is trying to strip the church of its significance. And the church should not be stripped of its significance. We need to be people that champion the church. We need to be people that stand up for God's church because this is our body. This is our head that we are following. This is the, this is the reality that God has given us to live this life that is unstoppable. So let's just talk for a minute. Spiritual but not religious. What are we ultimately saying? This is one definition of what it means to be spiritual but not religious. It's a life stance of spirituality that takes issue with organized religion as the sole or most valuable means of furthering spiritual growth. Okay, that is a basic definition of, well, I'm spiritual, meaning I don't need the church to grow spiritually. I don't need the church to follow Jesus. I don't need the church to live a life of purpose. I don't need the church to connect with God. That's ultimately what it's saying. Now, here's why this sermon was kind of difficult, because I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of people here that I'm sure normally you're here at church. So it's like, you're, you know, it's like, do you preach a sermon that tries to talk to those people outside that say, I don't need the church? So today, we're going to talk a little bit about how this mindset can seep into our lives, even when we see the importance of the church. See, all of us in here, we probably see the importance of the church. 
But I'm here to tell you that we still have to be careful that spiritualism can sink into our, into our thinking and our actions, and we don't even realize it, and that's what we're going to talk about. But ultimately, let's, let's understand this a little bit, little bit more. So being spiritual but not religious basically comes down to these two things. It's when we come to a place where we start looking at things in, in Christianity. We're just going to focus on Christianity. When, when we start looking at things with Christianity and we start saying things like this, well, I'm good with Jesus, but religion is offensive. Right? So let's talk about what I mean by that. We have uh, growing numbers of people, even within the church, that see things that are taught in the Bible and we're offended by it. We don't like it. The world tells us a different thing, and we like what the world says, and the world looks at us as Christians and say, you're being offensive, you're being judgmental, you're being hurtful, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're not letting people live out the lives that they were created to live by your, the things that you're trying to proclaim. So what happens is, is because sometimes we don't want to deal with conflict, we'll find ourselves shrinking back and we'll start saying things like, yes, you're right, that is too offensive. So we start lessening the truth. We don't proclaim the truth because we don't want to offend anybody. Can I tell you that doesn't line up with, with Scripture? Jesus says flat out, the cross is offensive. Jesus is like, you're going to offend people. Jesus said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Why? Because you're offensive. So when we start saying things like we want to water down the truth and we want to start being a religion that doesn't offend people, what we're doing is we're falling into the spiritualism side of things where we're saying, yeah, we just don't want to be offensive. And I fall into that trap. Don't get me wrong, there's times where, you know, you don't want to deal with certain things, so you just kind of stay quiet. Or you start asking questions like, well, why is it such a big, such a big deal? Why do we have to take a stand on such things? So first off, religion is offensive. Second is, then religion is oppressive. Right? Uh, how many of us, I mean, you don't have to answer this or raise your hands, but think about this. How many of us at some point in time in our Christianity just looked at the Bible as a bunch of rules and regulations? Like, oh my gosh. All I'm ever told is what I can't do. That's all I ever hear at church is what I can't do. It's like sucking all the fun out of life. Can I tell you why a lot of people like to move over to spiritualism? It's because, let's just be kind of, let's, let's really understand this. Sin is fun. Right? Sin is fun. And it's actually been said this way. If, if, if you're not having fun with sin, then you're not doing it right. Because sin is fun. It doesn't always stay fun. Consequences come with it. But don't get me wrong, in the moment, sin is fun. And what spiritualism does is it lets me, I don't want to be oppressed. I'll take what I want from Jesus, but I don't want those rules and regulations. So now all of a sudden we see the church as a place where you're just going to tell me what I can't do. You're going to tell me what I have to do. You know, like you hear this in church, right? I get tired, you know, I'm just putting, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you hear this kind of stuff, right? Well, I'm tired of coming to church and every time I come to church, I feel like they're making me feel guilty because I don't come to church every Sunday. Or I don't sign up for small groups. Or I don't give enough when I tithe. Or I don't serve enough. Or I don't read my Bible enough. You see, it's all these rules and regulations. And this is the problem. Being spiritual but not religious is we see religion as offensive and we see religion as oppressive. So then here's what happens. We start creating a God that isn't as offensive. What happens is we start forming gods in our own head. We start morphing a God that isn't as offensive. 
We, we start forming a God in our image. We start forming a God that is more comfortable to us. We start forming a God that allows us to start making decisions the way we want to make them. So let me give you an example of just real quick, and I'm not downplaying this. When I say this, please don't be get, here's the deal. You might get offended. That's fine. But I had a guy in um, Missouri when we were there that every hunting season, him and I would go head to head, head to head. Because he would look at me and he would, he, he would be like out of church for like all those weeks. And I would just be like, dude, where are you at? Right? Come on, you, you need to be here. And, and when I say that, he was a guy that was struggling a lot in his faith. His family was having issues. There was issues there. I'm like, God, we got to be, you got to be connected to the church. And we'd have questions. And he would always look at me and say this. He would say, listen, I worship God my way. I worship him up in the tree waiting for the deer so I can shoot it. And I said, cool, you show me in the Bible where God says that's the way he wants to be worshipped. Right? You show me where God says, you can decide how you worship me. You just make up your own way. And I'm cool with that. Now here's the deal, I'm not against hunting. I'm not against even missing church from time to time. So please don't hear that. But we start creating a God that fits what I want. Right? We, fit it, we start creating a God that fits what I want. I want to go out and be in nature. I want to go shoot something. So my God says it's okay for me to worship him out hunting some animals and hunting deer and setting up in the tree in nature. Again, I'm not saying you can't worship God in nature. But we can't determine, we can't be the ones to say God sets the standards, right? So we start creating a God in our image. I, I just want to say this real quick because... When we were there and he started doing this, um, he used to, I know he hated me for this. Because uh, every hunting season, guess what? <laughs> he never got a deer. And I'd be the jerk that'd be like, hey, did you get a deer yet? And he'd be like, no. I was like, I wonder if that's God. Like, why don't we try it this way? Why don't you put church first and then see if maybe God brings you the biggest buck ever? But he never wanted to do it that way. So yeah, he got really annoyed with me a lot. Um, <laughs> But we start creating a God that's not as offensive. We start creating a God in our image. The next thing we do is we start creating a God that isn't as oppressive, right? Like we start saying, well, God doesn't care if I do this. God doesn't care. We see, see what I mean? This is what spiritualism is. We start determining what God wants. We start deciding how God wants us to do it. It starts to become how we want it and how it makes us comfortable. Like, I'm cool with this God because he doesn't put too much pressure on me. I'm good with this God because he doesn't expect too much of me. I'm good with this God because he's not as offensive to me. And this is how this creeps into the church. Now, here's the thing. There are reasons that people have this attitude towards the church, and we have to address that. I don't want to jump over this. Um, the world, our, our society, especially in America, about 30% of, of Americans say that they are spiritual but not religious. 30%, and that number grows every year. Every year that number gets bigger. In fact, in just seven years, that number went from 19 to, again, almost 30%. It's a growing number, especially in younger, people under 30. When you look at people under 30, they're the ones that say over and over again, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what that means is they have no connection whatsoever to any type of church or religious organization. But they have a belief in some higher power of some kind that they worship and that they follow. But they have no connection. So again, almost 
okay? So what I want us to understand though for a minute, let's take some ownership of some stuff. And, and I have to take ownership of this too. There are reasons that the world around us doesn't want a lot to do with the church. And when, let's clarify here. When I say the church, I'm not just talking this church. I'm talking the church, right? Churches, we have to understand this. It's not just about us, it's about the church because we're gonna run into these people. We're gonna have uh, relationships with these people. You can, you're gonna have conversations and you might already are. But let's just talk about this for a second. Here are the reasons for people to have a disillusion of organized religion. Why people don't want anything to do with the church. First off, let's just, let's say it. There's hypocrisy in the church. Right? Can I just let us out off the hook? I, I can say it for myself. There are times I'm a hypocrite. I'll say one thing but do another. And the world watches that. I say one thing and I act another way. There's hypocrisy in the church. And people that are on the outside looking in say, why would I want to have anything to do with that when people that claim to be followers of Jesus act like that? And we have to take ownership of that. And a a thing with hypocrisy, just for a moment, because some of us in this room are going to relate to this, there is such a thing as called church hurts. And that's because of our hypocrisy. The fighting that can happen in churches, the backstabbing that can happen in churches, it wounds people and they walk away from the church. They want nothing to do with it. I guarantee you there are people in this room that you have church hurts. And you're carrying them. And they're there. But there's still a part of you that knows that you need to be connected to God's church, but they're still there. Sometimes people just can't handle it and they walk away and they say, why would I have anything to do with a place like that that treated me that way? We have to take ownership of that, y'all. Even if we aren't the ones that did the hurting, we still have to take ownership of it because we need to be willing to look at people. And when they tell us, I have a hurt from church, we need to look at them and say, not defend it, but say, I I understand. That's horrible that that happened. It shouldn't have happened that way. My wife and I, well, I'll just put it for me, not just my wife, but I know for me, I carry a lot of church hurts because I've grown up in the church. And actually, it was the hypocrisy of the church that drove me from the church for about five, six years of my life. I don't want nothing to do with this. I'm cool with Jesus, but I don't want nothing to do with that. So hypocrisy is in the church, and we have to understand that. The next thing we have to understand is the atrocities that the church has happened, you know, that's gone on. Um, Let's just kind of, you know, understand this. The church has done some horrible things in the name of Jesus. We've murdered people in the name of Jesus in the history of the church. So people look at the church and we're speaking of love and mercy and peace and then they, they learn history and they're like, well, what about all the corruption? All about, oh, what about all the ways that you've killed people? What about the judgmental attitudes? There's still atrocities in the church. I mean, I think it's, it's atrocious when I see people in the name of Jesus carrying signs that say, faggots, go to hell. That's an atrocity. This, this judgmental attitude that we have and we carry it. And we have to understand that. That's something that the world looks at. It's like, why would I want to be part of an organization or a group that acts that way? I have isolation up there. So another thing, the reason that uh, I say this is a lot of people look you know, um, at churches and they say, I don't want nothing to do with churches because churches act like if you're not part of them, they don't want nothing to do with you. We isolate ourselves, right? We only want the people that look like us. We only want the people that act like us. We only want the people that make us comfortable. Um, there's actually a church, I want to go visit it. There's a church in Cedar Rapids. 
that merge together. When we were talking about merger, we came across them, and I want to go see them. I want to go visit them, right? It's a church that was uh, an all-white church and an all-black church came together in one church. And I'm like, ooh, that would be amazing, right? I want to go see what that looks like. I'm going to go see what that looks like. Because I've been in black churches when they worship. They don't look like white churches <laughs> at all. One bit, right? But, but this idea of we isolate ourselves. We want the people that make us feel comfortable. I, I don't know if he ever watches these, but I'm going to use it as an example. My brother struggled this for, with this for a long time. My brother was a big biker-looking dude. He always wore cut-off vests with his arms hanging out, big, long hair. Just looked like a guy, don't speak to me. Just looked like he came from out of the bar. And he, that's, the, that's the way he presented himself. He never for years wanted to be in the church because every time he walked in the church, all he got was dirty looks. He got looks of, you don't belong here. He got looks of, you're not like us. So the gospel can't be for you. We isolate ourselves. And that makes people say, why would I want to be part of that? And the last one I want us to think about is frailty. And what I mean by frailty is this. We talk a big game to the world, but then the world looks at us and they say, I don't see you, I don't see what you're proclaiming, right? So what I mean by that is we talk about the power of God. We talk about transformation. We talk about, you know, uh, you know just a lot of things that we, we talk a big game to who God is and what God can do and how awesome God is. We talk a big game, but then when people look at us, they're like, but I don't see what you're saying, right? I'm gonna give you an example of this. Maybe, maybe you're guilty of this. I know I have been. We talk about the power of prayer, right? Power of prayer. Anybody here ever had a very serious condition, medical condition, or something happened to you, and, and like, you don't, like, you don't tell anybody? Like, it's like four days later, five days later, like, somebody in the church finds out, like, hey, where you been? I've been in the hospital. I almost died. Why didn't you say anything? I didn't want to bother anybody. But then we say we believe in the power of prayer, right? Like, how many of us right now are maybe struggling with medical conditions? And the Bible says, call upon the elders and have them pray for you. The prayer of a righteous man affected much. There's healing. But we don't step out into that. We talk a big game, but the world doesn't see it. We talk a big game. I, I just want us to realize this. The church looks, or the world looks at us sometimes, it's like, I don't see the power that they're talking about. I don't see the significance that they're talking about. I don't see the life transformation that they're talking about. Because we don't like to, we don't, we don't proclaim it. I, I get it. Maybe something, I should have said at the beginning of this, there might be a chance you, you should have hopefully been wearing your spiritual uh, steel toe boots. Because hopefully I'm stepping on toes. Hopefully God, because we need to act different because the world's looking at us and they're saying, give me a reason to follow this Jesus. Give me a reason. One of my, one of my favorite songs that I, I, uh, from the 80s that I think about when it comes to religious stuff, like church, anybody remember Poison? Give me something to believe in. You remember that song? Give me something to believe in if there's a God above. That's the, that's the lyric, right? He actually says in the song, I see the sign that says Jesus saves, but I ain't buying it. Give me something to believe in. If there's a God above, 
Give me something to believe in. This is what the world is screaming out to us, church. The, the world, when it says they are spiritual, they're saying, I know there is a higher power that I need to be connected with, but I'm not buying what the church is selling. Give me something to believe in. I'm not seeing it. I don't want no part of it. So now, how does being spiritual but not religious show up in the church? How does it show up in our lives? Or at least I can say how it shows up in my life. Because here's the deal. The enemy, he wants to destroy us, so he wants us to isolate ourselves. So this idea of I don't need the church, he wants us to find reasons to back away. Because if he can get us to back away, then we become uh, positioned in a place where it's easier for him to toy with us. It's easier for him to destroy us and attack us. Because if he can get us to back away from the church, even the slightest bit, then he is ready to pounce. Because he wants to isolate us, isolate ourselves. So, let's talk about this for a moment. The first way that he does this with the spiritual idea of, of, you know, I don't need the church is... The church has started to be seen as an option instead of a necessity. Right? This idea of, you know, I'm part of the church, that's awesome, I'll choose to be part of the church, but I don't see the church as a necessity to my spiritual life. I don't see the church as a necessity to my spiritual growth. Here's the thing. I wake up almost every Sunday, sometimes in my life, not all the time, but sometimes there are seasons in life where I don't want to be at the church. But can I tell you something I know without a shadow of a doubt? I need to be with the church. Church can't be an option. It has to be a necessity. Notice what Scripture says. It says in Ephesians, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So here's the deal. You and I can't grow as Christians without the church. When we get tempted to back away from the church, we can't grow the way God wants us to grow because he gave us the church. He gave us apostles. He gave us prophets. He gave us evangelists. He gave us pastors. He gave us teachers. He gave us one another in order to mature as Christians. Let me show you a story from this that always hit me. D.L. Moody, I don't know if anybody ever heard of D.L. Moody, but he was an evangelist a long time ago. Uh, D.L. Moody, was, he went from town to town, and he had somebody call on him, this rich man that said, you know what, I want you to come to my house because I don't need the church, and I'm going to tell you all the reasons I don't need the church, so I want you to come to my house and talk to me about it. D.L. Moody went, they sat down at two chairs in front of the fire, because back then, that's what they used for heat, they were sitting in front of the fire, and this man went on a tirade for like an hour of all the reasons he doesn't need the church to be a good Christian. He doesn't need the church and be in the church in order to grow as a Christian. D.L. Moody just sat there and let him talk. As the man was talking, D.L. Moody grabbed the poker and he started playing with the fire. And as the man's talking, he finds a nice big coal and he flips it out onto the, the stones in front of the fire. And when it falls out, it's burning red hot because it just came out of the fire. It's burning red hot. And as the man kept talking and talking and talking, Moody just sat there and stared at the coal stared at the coal. He didn't even look at the man. He just stared at the coal. And over time, this red hot coal went to dark black. And D.L. Moody just looked at the coal. He looks at the man. He looks back at the coal. And without saying a word, the man looks at D.L. Moody and he says, I understand. I'll be in church on Sunday. 
You can't stay red hot in your faith. You can't stay excited about your faith in isolation. You have to have the church because we build the fire in one another. When you start growing cold in your faith, you need your brothers and sisters to warm you up and get you red hot again. And when your brothers and sisters are growing cold in their faith, they need you to get them red hot again. Church is not an option. Being part of the church is not an option, it's a necessity. Let's go to the next one. Another way this creeps in is we start seeing devotion to the church is not necessary to be devoted to Jesus. Right? So we start saying to ourselves this idea of, listen, I don't have to be devoted to the church, but I, you know, I can still be devoted to Jesus, but I don't necessarily have to be devoted to the church. I'm spiritual. I love Jesus. I don't have to be part of the church. Well, this is what scripture tells us. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So basically I want to understand is this. I want you to understand is this. It is impossible for us to say we love Jesus and not love the church. And it is impossible to be connected to Jesus and not be connected to the church. Why? Because you can't be connected to the head unless you're connected to the body. Let me give you a, a great understanding of this. You can be committed to the church and not committed to Christ, but you cannot be committed to Christ if you're not committed to, committed to the church. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because we all probably know somebody that says, well, I'm committed to Jesus, but I don't need the church. Sorry, you cannot be committed to Christ if you're not committed to the church. It don't work that way. You can't say you love the head and you don't need the body. You can't say you have Jesus and you don't have the church. They both go hand in hand together. You can't separate one from the other. So we can't say that we can be devoted to Christ but not devoted to the church. Here's the last way it seeps in there. We start deciding how to live our faith apart from submission to authority. One of the number one reasons that spiritualism looks so attractive to us is because we don't want to actually submit to anybody because we want to be in control of everything. I want to be in control of everything. My wife and I, this is funny, we were out yesterday. Um, I, I love it when we get like kind of smart mouthed with each other because, you know, she'll say something or I'll say something. She's like, well, it's not like you ever listen to what I say anyways. And I'm like, read your Bible. You're supposed to do what I say. I say it, but it never goes well. I say it, never goes well. But this idea of we always do it, right? Like, I'm going to determine what I want to do. I'm going to determine the way I want it. And here's the thing. I love America, and I'm all for America, so when I say this, but this has crept into the church, right? The church is not a democracy. Did you hear that? Church was never meant to be a democracy. What I mean by that is everybody wants everybody's vote and say to be equal. It don't work that way. The church has never been set up that way. In fact, the church is all about falling under authority. And the reason that we like spiritualism is because if we don't want to be under authority, we can say, well, I don't want to be under, I don't need that. I just need Jesus because I don't want to submit to any type of authority. Here's the three authorities I want us to understand in the church. First and foremost, we have to fall under the authority of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have to fall under the authority of the scriptures. Those two are key, primary. The third one, though, is the one that we wrestle with a lot, many times. We also have to fall under the authority of God's leaders, but also each other. Let me explain what I mean by each other. You all do realize that when you become members of a church, 
what you're ultimately saying is, is that you're, becoming, you're coming under the authority of the, of the leadership, but you're also giving each other permission that you have authority over my life just as much as I have authority over your life, not as a pastor, just as a fellow Christian. What I mean by that is you are able to challenge me and spur me on to grow the way God calls me to grow. I give you authority in my life. Like, you have the right to walk up to me and say, wait a minute, you're part of the church. That's not the way we should be acting as a Christian. Wait a minute, that's not the way God calls us to be. See, we give one another authority to speak into each other's lives. Scripture tells us this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the reason we like to pull away from the church is because we want to say, I don't need you telling me what to do. I don't need you challenging what I do. I don't need you telling me how I should live and all of those things. So realize, these are three ways that spiritualism can fall into our own lives and our own thinking. So I want to end with this, and then we're going to transition over to communion. Here's the last thing I want us to think about. Let's not strive to be spiritual, but let's commit to being spirit-led. Let's not be people that say, I'm spiritual. Let's instead say, we are people that are spirit-led. The Spirit of God directs my life. The Spirit of God determines what I do. The Spirit of God leads me into righteousness. The Spirit of God leads me into holiness. The Spirit of God is who determines what I do and how I do it. I am not spiritual, I'm spirit-led. And the last verse is this. Therefore, I as a prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. As I explain this, can I have the elders come forward and start getting ready in the praise team? I want us to end on this verse because I want us to see something here. As they're getting ready and as we prepare to take communion together, the enemy, right? The enemy that is against us, he wants us to not trust one another. He wants us to not trust the church. He wants us to find reasons to pull away from one another. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to say, I love Jesus, but I don't need all this other stuff. And I want to encourage us with something. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit building or binding yourselves together with peace because we are one body connected by one spirit and we're called to one glorious hope as we take communion today and we prepare for this pastor matt already told us that this is a great time for repentance but can i encourage us with a thought with this if you have here's the thing if you have church hurts this morning they're affecting you and how you step out and are used by God in his church. If you have things that you're still holding on to that's holding you back in, in the way you serve him and the way you worship him and the way you connect with one another, let's deal with it this morning. Deal with it at the table of grace. Deal with it when you partake of the blood that was shed for all the sins that have been committed against us and the church hurts that have been caused to us. If you're struggling with the church this morning, let's do something about it. If you have judgmental attitudes and anger or even hatred towards maybe some of the leadership or choices that have been made, deal with it. 
I'm not trying to say it wasn't valid or, or, or where you were feeling. I'm not, I'm not going there. But Jesus says, let's deal with it because we're supposed to be united in the Spirit, binded together by peace because we are one body. See, the enemy wants us to not need the church. Jesus says, no, you need the church more than anything. It is the gift I have given to you because you're not in this alone. So as we partake of communion, if you need to offer forgiveness to somebody, offer forgiveness. If you need to say, Lord, I've been carrying this for too long, let it go. It's been dealt with by the cross of Jesus. If you've had anger towards the church, let it go. If you've had anger towards leadership, let it go. If somebody said something to you in this room at some point, let it go. Release it at the table of Jesus. The blood was shed, the body was broken for us to be united as one, as a beautiful creation. Jesus said, my body is broken for you. My blood has been shed for you. I've done this to bring you together, not for the enemy to drive you apart. This table, man, we're about to have a family dinner together. This is the family coming together to partake with Jesus as our head. Let's be united together. Let's let the Holy Spirit move and transform us. Let's see the supernatural happen in our midst. Lord Jesus, as we're here right now, I'm, I can't help but smile as we hear the excitement and the noise from down below. Lord, children that are, are celebrating and worshiping. Lord, I, I, I even think about times when I've walked through, um, even on Wednesday sometimes, just seeing a, a glimpse of just this last week I got to see it. Kids as they were uh, singing and embracing arm to arm as this united body. Lord, is there any wonder that Jesus, you told us that we have to come to you as though little children? Or sometimes in adulthood, we think we have all the answers and we're so wise, but we're really not. Lord, we need to be excited for your church. We need to be excited for the gospel. We need to be excited for one another. We need, we need to be united, Lord, united. Brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe we don't have the, simil, so the same outlooks on a lot of things and the same personalities, but we are united by the only thing that matters, and that is the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God that is in us. So as we partake of communion today, Lord, let us rejoice in our forgiveness. Let us rejoice that you love us this much, that you've forgiven us, and, and Jesus, you paid that ultimate price, but let us rejoice that you gave us one another. May something supernatural happen here today as we partake of your table, as we are united together as one body, under one head, by one spirit, with one mission, with one purpose, with one love, with one hope. Lord, bind us together. Bind us together today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.